Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. And as usual, we are talking markets. And my guest today is one of South Africa's investment gurus. He is Koki Kweiman of Denke Capital. Koki, welcome to the show. Uh, we've just heard that South Africa's economy grew by 3.3% uh, in the second quarter. And although there are a few technical reasons for this uh, higher than expected growth, it remains a significant reversal of the 1.2% decline we saw in the first quarter. What do you make of this number? Yeah, it is a surprise and uh, it's a welcome surprise. And uh, I think it comes off uh, obviously a quite a low base, especially I think mining where, you know, uh, mining globally has been recovering prices uh, have been have been tracking up so um as long as it leads to more employment that's that's the main issue we have in south africa at the moment unemployment so uh but yeah we'll never we'll never say no to a good number like that it is definitely positive um especially in the current political economic landscape um uh, where we uh, you know, are facing very uncertain times. But what is your uh, take on what is happening uh, politically and the impact it has on the markets? Uh, the, the impact on the market is, is huge. If, if you think of the, the political, uh, I can't call it a game because it's not a game, it, it, it's, it's deadly serious. But what is happening is that you've effectively got the Minister of Finance and the state president um, at loggerheads and effectively the state president and his followers trying to get rid of the minister of finance and you know the minister of finance if he succeeds in a lot of things that he's doing could mean that the president has to go so by the end of the year uh, you've got you've got a situation that you might have a different minister of finance or a different president uh, because increasingly there is there's a lot of focus on on the core decision makers in the ANC who seem to be not making decisions for the benefit of the country, and so there's increasing pressure against that. Uh, so the knock-on effect on the economy is simply that uh, you know businessmen uh, and investors don't want to commit capital because you've got this huge uncertainty. Uh, if you get, indeed, if Mr. Gordon was to be arrested, and the rumors were very strong earlier uh, that he was going to be arrested, or there were attempts that he would be arrested simply so that they can get rid of him. So if that was to happen, the pound of the rand would, would plummet again. Uh, inflation would go up again. Cost of living would increase. With, yeah, so if, if you're a businessman at the moment weighing up how much you should order from offshore into, and with such rand volatility, uh, it's very, very difficult. And I think the consumer agenda is stretched, and uh, so they're supposed to be pushing back purchase and rather you know, save money for where they could potentially lose their jobs because unemployment is still actually increasing. We've seen foreigners uh, were net sellers of 85 billion rands worth of equities um, since the beginning of the year. Um, a lot of that has moved to bonds. Yep. But at the same stage last year, we saw an inflow of 35 billion stock contrast. How much can you attribute this to uh, the current political environment as opposed to what is happening in world markets? 
Yeah, I think a lot of the international flows um, come from what's happening in world markets. I mean, the, the, the biggest uncertainty in global markets at the moment is U.S., whether the U.S. America will go into a, re- a recession or not. And it's amazing how much research I read, very convincing research that proves that the U.S. is about to tipple into a recession. And they quote a lot of numbers, uh, statistics that prove that. And then I read research saying exactly the opposite, quoting numbers that show that the U.S. is quite strong. Now, the impact on emerging markets is important because if the U.S. continues to grow and inflationary pressures come through, uh, they're going to hike interest rates. And Yellenus and Fisher have, have said that we could be seeing an interest rate hike end of this year and, and another one early next year. That means that the dollar goes stronger. If the U.S. ever remains weak and we don't see interest rate hikes, then the dollar is weaker and then money goes to emerging markets. And we've seen this year uh, large flows go into emerging markets attracted by the higher yields uh, of of government bonds. And especially if you think of, and we talk to the European insurers quite a lot for our our overseas funds, and by the way, the European insurers are incredibly attractive investment vehicles if you look at their price to uh, embedded values and their dividend yields. But the big problem for them is that they have to invest their client money uh, in government bonds that yield less than 1%. So for those guys, having to invest money and having to charge a fee for that at 1%, then your emerging market bonds look very attractive. And, and that's why money keeps coming to South Africa, to Indonesia, to India, um, simply you know, to try and escape that 1%. And then they take the political risk. But still, $85 billion is a lot of money. It seems like it's a very, very high number. Are you concerned about this? Yes, because it explains also the volatility in the RAND in that your flows have become huge. And I think there's, by the way, there's $13 trillion uh, of, of money invested in sovereign bonds, government bonds, earning negative interest rates. So, in other words, you're going to get less than you, than you put in at, on maturity. Uh, but... So, I mean, there's a lot of money that's, that's actually just playing the game of uh, you know, moving money to and fro and trying to eke out a few basis points. So, and I think the, the size of the money more reflects you know, the uncertainty globally, how money moves in and out. Mm. But despite this outflow, you know, number one, somebody needs to buy those shares from the foreigners. Do you know who they are? And why hasn't there been a more negative impact on the local market, uh, which you know could have resulted from this uh, outflow? I think uh, what you mustn't forget is that in South Africa, 80% or 75%, depending on, on, on a few criteria, but let's say 75% of pension funds and most other funds are constrained in that 75% of the money they manage has to be invested in South Africa. So you've got continued pension fund contributions that flow into funds that have to invest 75% of that into South African equities, bonds, or just sit on cash. And so I think there's always a a natural buyer to a certain extent, uh, except obviously when they decide to just sit on cash.
Are you at Sunlum and, and Denka Capital? What, what is your asset allocation? Are you underweight in equity? Yeah, I, I'm fortunately or unfortunately far enough from Sunlum that uh, I, I don't know what my Sunlum cousins are doing. <laughs> at, at Denka at this stage, we own only uh, equity funds. Uh, we manage only equity funds. So in terms of and in, in, in our equity funds at this stage, we are you know, at a maximum what we can be in terms of offshore because we think still that you know, with the uncertainty and the growth rates, your offshore growth rate and what the valuations you can get there is better than in South Africa. But in bonds, it's a very dangerous game sitting in government bonds at the moment because you've got the downgrade that will certainly come in December and you've got the risk of the political game that's being played. So you could, uh, I think South African government bonds are not pricing in the risks that lie ahead in the next six months. As you're saying that, I'm, I'm looking at the, the graph of the JSE this year. It has been volatile, but it's actually quite strong in, in historic terms. Um, and it's, you know, if you look at what happened, happened to the RAND um, and how volatile that was, um, it seems like you know, we're actually having a pretty stable stock market at the moment. Yeah, again, you must look at what makes up the stock market. So like Nuspers is, is a huge percentage. Issa Brewery is a huge percentage. So those stocks, I mean, Nuspers, 10 cents, uh, has just become the largest company in China. It keeps doing exceptionally well. That obviously powers Nuspers. Uh, the resource shares have come back very strongly this year from very, very oversold uh, levels at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that the JSE in total is strong. If you look at within the JSE, you'll find, for instance, that the retailers have been very weak. Uh, the banks and the insurers have actually you know, been very volatile with the weaker buyers. So it's very specific sectors that have been driving the strength in the JSE. Well, having said that, uh, are you buying in this market? And uh, what are you buying if you are? Well, yeah, on the uh, on the Denker side, uh, Rico and Claude uh, that run our, our value fund have been buying for instance the platinum shares, uh, and they've been buying you know a lot of the construction companies. They've been seeking companies that have just been smashed, uh, where investors are too negative, and even now recently, Mr. Price. When uh, fortunately they didn't own any Mr. Price. So uh, when that fell, you know, that was a good opportunity. So it's almost a market where, where you should sit in a bit of excess cash and wait for good opportunities. We're going to get a lot of disappointments. On, on the banks and the insurers, which is sort of my speciality, they are actually uh, cheap relative to historic, if you measure them on historic valuations. But again, if the RAND falls or if we get downgraded, the cost of funding of, for South African banks will increase. And so you'll see them you know, first move down as well. So it, it, it's very uncertain. But certainly what we're trying to do, and, and this is what most investors should be doing, when your environment is as uncertain as it is now, you, you, you buy quality. So, for instance, the banks, and that's why you'll see first rent maintaining a huge premium over other banks. And investors are prepared to pay that for a top-quality management team because you know they're not going to make mistakes. And so that's really what we're doing. We've got really good 
ideas in terms of what the values of the companies are, what they are worth, and just wait for the price to come down in this volatile environment and then pick them up when they do fall to those levels. But I understand that, you know, banks will be under pressure if we, you know, do get downgraded. But why are they so volatile? Yeah, the, the, the volatility is just, I think, general at the moment in both global and South African markets. But banks specifically never forget that banks are geared. So the assets are eight times the, um, the capital. And so also it means that if you have bad debt or if you have an earning swing in your net interest margin, the effect is much bigger than a normal industrial company. So they react to positive and negative news much more than other companies. Investors, should they look offshore? Where is your focus currently? Now, that's the most difficult question. (laughs) Well, I know where our focus is. But offshore, it's the indices, and specifically the MSCI, which is driven by the S&P, the Standard & Poor. In other words, the world index has been driven by the American index has done fairly well, and the American index, S&P, is actually very expensive, driven by, you know, the so-called growth stocks, especially you know, your Facebook, your Google. So index investors, um, we think, will underperform for quite a while. The problem is that the sectors and the areas that are cheap have risks, and that's why there's been this flight to quality. So, for instance, Europe. Uh, Europe is very cheap, but there are significant risks there, with the Italian referendum coming up, the French election. So in the U.S., the banks and insurers are very cheap, but their valuations to a certain extent depend on whether interest rates will increase. And then emerging markets, I mean, we we were at the beginning of the year uh, buying significant positions in India, which has worked exceptionally well, also in Russia and Indonesia. So you know, India just released its growth numbers this morning as well uh, with a 7.1% GDP growth rate, uh, and that is sustainable. So you have countries like Indonesia as well still growing at 5%, strong growth in emerging markets. So where we are buying a lot of emerging markets and then financials in the U.S., and uh, also financials in Europe. I don't like the the term uncertainty. You know, many. You know, you've been managing money or other people's money for for many years, several decades. How difficult is it to invest in this market? And have there been previous periods where it has been as difficult? Uh, you're totally right, Drake. I mean, when you think back, you always have uncertainty. Although the binary outcomes at the moment in South Africa is, is, is much bigger than ever before. In the US, you're right, interest rates go up or not, or you know, you, you still got to look for, for your quality companies. So you're right. I mean, what do we do? We know we can't forecast. We certainly can't forecast the future. And, you know, you only have to look back at what economists and strategists have been saying six months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, five, 10 years ago. It's pretty difficult for me to say the U.S. will have a recession or it won't have a recession. Whatever I say, probabilities will be wrong. So the focus must always be on the companies. And so that's really what we keep doing. We go and visit the companies and look at the historic track records. How good have management been? What have they done? And, you know, whatever bank x in america uh, has has had bad debts and has had fines almost every year and bank y has always had lower bad debts and has never had fines so that's the type of thing you look for and that's really what we tend to do we're very in, in that sense numerical model driven 
looking at track records of businesses and almost ignoring the forecast of what we think will happen, whether, for instance, the U.S. will have a recession or not. You know, that is a typical, you know, intrinsic value uh, strategy. You look at the, the potential or the, the sum of the parts type of valuation. But yeah. many, most stocks, uh, and in, I will refer you to our previous discussion as well, react on emotional market news that is not related to the company. For example, the banks. The banks fell the last two yeah. weeks. Uh, some of the banks fell more than 10%. Um, yeah. And those declines have not been based on earnings potential. It's more emotion exactly exactly okay so <laughs> that was the last point i was going to make okay. so what you do you've got a, you've got a you you agnostic well that's a strong word but okay you, you're indifferent in terms of where you think the economy will go you've got your views but you know what the alternatives are so you know what the probabilities of that of those are let's say the probability of the south african economy growing at five percent is almost zero let's make it two percent the probability of a recession in South Africa is high. So you start thinking of those probabilities, and then you know your valuations that you would be prepared to pay in that range. So Standard Bank, if Standard Bank falls 10%, it clearly flashes up on our model saying, whatever the probability, if, even if we have a recession, Standard Bank starts looking cheap, 10% lower, so you buy. So we don't try and guess what the market will do, um, but we're prepared for when the market does overreact. Thank you, Koki. That was Koki Kweman of Denke Capital.